Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. My name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Not gonna lie, I am so excited for this episode. We are back to finish off Way of Kings in the reread, and it's been great. So many downloads. It has been probably <laughs> our number one episode, or at least, you know, number one in a week. So everybody is real into Way of Kings. I think it's got a big pull because the Rhythm of War is a beating. As we get closer to the book release, I have definitely noticed an uptick in people joining us on the social media and possibly joining the fandom for the first time. So that's cool and exciting and welcome to all new fans and new podcast listeners. Thanks for being here. If you're here for the part two, know that a We do all spoilers all the time. We know this. We covered last week Way of Kings parts one, two, and three. We did the interludes, and now we need to have the epic conclusion to Brandon Sanderson's masterwork and the most important bit of the Cosmere. At first, when we were talking about how to break up this book for the episodes, We were kind of like, are we sure we really want to only do part four and five at the end? Like, is that going to be enough? It's freaking enough. Literally everything happens in part four. The whole concept of the Sanders avalanche was just on display here. He takes you on this ride through parts one through three, and then we get to part four. And it is just all excitement, all the time, never ending. And oh, emotions, they crush me. They So many emotions. Everything is great. Everything is awful. Everything is great again. Everything is awful again. It's all... Just crying and crying. And then you go back to reread what you just read because it was so good. <laughs> like, this is just, this is it, people. This is the book of books. I'm I have so, so many, glad we're here. I have so many quotes pulled out for this episode, too, because there are just so many amazing things. We're going to try to at least stick on our basic pattern that we've been following throughout this reread. So I think we just should do a little bit of a intro maybe with the interlude to kind of get us back into way of kings Let's sure just talk yeah about you want to go first. interludes first yeah at least talk about that first interlude uh to kind of set the tone again yeah what, what was your favorite part of that interlude Ugh. well like i said last time these interludes literally every time i start one i'm like oh man i love this one <laughs> i think about every single one <laughs> but For the interludes that we get uh, in interludes three, that is going to be Jaranid, who is the old, older Ardent, uh, and Baxel, and then Zeth as well. And both of those non-Zeth ones I find super interesting. Jaranid is such a cool way to explore the theory of quantum physics in the Cosmere. Yeah, it definitely is like, one of those things of just like, oh my goodness, worlds are colliding here. It's the best description for me personally. Like whenever someone else tries to explain quantum theory to me, I just come back to that interlude in my brain and I'm just like, oh yeah, it's just like when Jaranid is measuring the flame spread. Which is probably me after like one too many glasses of wine. Just it like, is. Let me tell you about quantum theory. And I'm like not really listening to you. I'm just thinking about Jaranid and her flame spread. <laughs> That's excellent because I also love Jaranid and the concept that they, I mean, it's such a complex topic. As you said, many people try to explain it, don't understand it. Everyone who does understand it a little bit goes, we don't understand anything a lot of it. <laughs> and so to have this kind of simple explanation of such a complex phenomenon but also do it while 
moving forward our understanding of spren yes. and the cognitive realm and how it works and it's just such a great example of moving the plot forward moving our world building forward growing the planet of rashar and like filling it up with real things and all of a sudden we have this connection to what we're just beginning to discover and they're just beginning i can't to discover. wait really to cool. see how this theory and like what jaranid is discovering comes into play later like i feel like it's definitely going to there's something about the nature of spren and the way that they work that is being initially explored here in this interlude that i think is going to be important later and i'm just really excited to see how this continues to develop okay so do you want my crackpot theory that i have not had while drinking a glass of wine of course excellent so it's the rhythm of war right it's the Mm -hmm. rhythm that's created is like when the flame spren is being measured and kind Mm -hmm. of uh taking form we also have the concept of span reads where things are linked Mm -hmm. and the parshendi who are Mm -hmm. linked through the songs that they sing and the rhythms that they they beat and and feel inside and we know from oathbringer down the road that that it's a piece of connection in the same way that like the spren are entangled together Mm. um and so i think that the secret that might be unveiled has to do with a kind of like musical note progression in entanglement theory so like basic entanglement is that you have two options of spin positive or negative and if one becomes positive the other becomes negative so you could also see that as like note on note off like sound on sound off and then through zeros and ones exactly through that you can create music which then are the beats that the Prashendi are used to link up. So like they know what to do and they can communicate because they're taking advantage of the same thing that span reads are and the same thing that is connecting the spren. And they're like, they're feeling out and they've kind of created this musical language, but they're feeling out what, you know, words and communication and like things to do and feeling emotions to have through this kind of entanglement, spren entanglement. That's very interesting. (laughs) My face is saying all of the things. So hit us up on Reddit, Twitter, or Facebook and tell me how crazy that sounded. Uh, And correct everything that we got wrong (laughs) about quantum physics. Yeah, scale of zero all the way up to (laughs) crazy. I also, while we're on the interludes, I want to briefly talk about Baxel's interlude in which we see Shalash smashing stuff (laughs) (laughs) and we get a little bit of insight and description of the old magic as well so that's just that's what's cool in that interlude exactly it's just like all this stuff just being sprinkled in so Um, many good tidbits and we mentioned it last week the idea of like the master painter coming back and like adding the shading and the fine detailing and like that's really where you know, a lot of times like painters would have apprentices do a lot of the kind of base work um, and get those colors all set right. And then the master comes in and like just finishes it off because like that's the skill that takes a really, really long time to learn and understand and to use. And I feel like that's what Brandon's doing here. He's just like, let's just add a little splash over here of shalash and just another little splash over here of quantum theory. Just a splash of shalash. You're going to really have fun with that (laughs) all the time. I can't wait till we read Oathbringer and you just get to talk about her like paragraphs after paragraphs. So I feel like we've already had one completely crazy theory. Let's just keep rolling on through right into well did you have any rough cuts anything that you did not like i have no qualms i have no qualms either and it would be silly to even i'm not even gonna try yeah exactly (laughs) like last week we tried to pretend like we were like "Mm, you know the Mm -hmm. ending or really bothers me the intro was so long yeah so let's just not pretend the end of way of kings is absolutely incredible tell me about your five favorite things in no particular order what are the things that jumped out to you I have had such a difficult time choosing only five things to to talk about, but 
I want to jump right in to the most exciting thing that I want to say. I'm just going to start off with the best. Excellent. Hit us with it. That is Navani. One, I love Navani. I love Navani the way that I love Steris, with just an undying appreciation for her awesomeness. In this, well, okay, let's back all the way up. In our Oathbringer episode, I talked about a theory that Navani might become a radiant based on uh, a mantra that she says over and over again in Oathbringer, which is that she wants to bring order from chaos, bring order from chaos, bring order from chaos. This is like this mantra that she's using in Oathbringer that I, and I was speculating in that episode. Oh, like what? Sounds like a vow. Of the yeah, ladies. yeah. It sounds like an ideal. So what possible radiant could she be? And I think I speculated the one that bonds the light spren. The will shapers. Yes, the will shapers. Um, mainly because I was just kind of grasping for like which one. Yeah, what what could be possible? Haven't we seen yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. However, in reading the ending of the Way of Kings, it just hit me like a brick. Something I had completely overlooked. Um, a couple quotes. Navani thinks, "quote This was a pattern. She often saw patterns in things." End quote. And then later, as she is creating her massive Thath justice glyph for Dalinar, quote, art was about creation. That was its soul, its essence, creation and order. You took something disorganized, a splash of ink, an empty page, and you built something from it, something from nothing, the soul of creation, end quote. Obviously. Navani is going to become a light weaver. Obviously. Joining Shalon. Yeah, it just could not be more clear. And I absolutely adore that these two people who are potential light weavers. Um, no, you're all in on it. I'm all Everyone in. Everyone heard that, in. right? How she said it. She was like, I guess. No. 100%. This is You are throwing down money on. If there was a gambling market, the Irish teens for Cosmere stuff, you would be betting heavily on yes. Nibani as a light weaver. Absolutely. Did you just listen to those quotes? <laughs> That's I all have, tit facts. Yes, I have a primary source. Excellent. Um, but I love that these two people, Shalon and Navani, are like seem quite different at first, which is why I didn't put Navani as a light weaver, mm-hmm. because we have been thinking of light weavers as artists. And I find this in our world as well. A lot of times we're really limited in the way that we think about artists, and we think that art is just painting or dance kind or, of defined yeah very it's narrowly. like very, a very narrow definition but when you think about navani and the way that she is an inventor and uh an explorer yeah a creator, yeah, a creator of fabrials and spren yeah. it makes so much sense like she is a, an artist a creator in that way as well yeah and so i love that these two sort of different aspects of quote-unquote art both drawing and sort of scientific uh, technology creation yeah. are both being lumped into this same category. Navani's like a, a maker. She's a craftsman. She's a she's a crafter. She's basically... <laughs> I mean, she I would, think she's more than a crafter. Yeah, she but... makes crafts. It's great. <laughs> like, they're really advanced crafts. That's totally possible. She's like Steve Jobs. Navani is the Steve Jobs ah, of great. Rishar, and I will not take that back. Why? You are going so hard in on all these ideas. Just a lot of people are going to hate on you because Steve Jobs didn't actually build a lot of things. He just had ideas. Exactly. See, this is why you can't go so hard on any one thing. Okay, well, We're you gonna, get the principle. I'm leaving of this what in. I'm exactly. I'm leaving it in just so it's all clear, folks. We are 100% in on I'm 100% on this slash Steve Jobs. I love the idea, though, of someone who really seems very different from the light weaver that we've come to know being in the same order because it shows a diversity of abilities and opinions and not just like a one 
size fits all type of model. I also think we should probably keep in mind that there are some orders that have a lot of members historically from what we know and others that seemingly don't have either many they members. They have more limited. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if the light weavers and the wind runners and maybe like the edge dancers, um, we not the truth watchers, but I think the edge dancers are probably like the number two that we've seen quite often. Um, but like healers, fighters, light weavers, they do kind of jump out as the ones that like, oh, maybe there would be more of these because totally there are more, you know, cognitive spren that are willing to make that bond. So I just like the idea. And I think it's important to keep in mind that like we may be seeing more and right, more, more heavily weighted towards yeah. certain groups than others. Exactly. Like there might only be one bondsmith in Dalinar, uh, but we might actually see like, oh, there's another Windrunner who's going to be doing the same thing as Kaladin. And that Windrunner is going to have a little troop of uh, squires around him as well. And they might come together at some point in the entire story. It's a total possibility. And I'm excited for it. But let's stay real focused on the Way of Kings. Anything else to close about Navani? Are we good? We are good. Tell me the first thing that you want to talk about. Excellent. Absolutely one of my favorite parts of this back half of Way of Kings is when Kaladin meets Hoyd. I think this is one of your favorite parts of like all Cosmere books. Well, yeah, probably. You talk about it a lot. Because it's fantastic, folks. <laughs> like, it's that good. Kaladin goes out onto the Shattered Plains. Hoyd is out there as wit playing a flute. And Kaladin has this interaction that I feel is it's so good i i will not gush too much about it but i will just say that what brandon is able to do in this moment is give you a incredibly deep on like seven different levels example of storytelling presented by a storyteller the master storyteller himself yeah and it's like hoyd's a master storyteller but then hoyd is a creation of brandon who's a master storyteller and it goes like another level it's just great the could you hit me with a quote uh because this is really one of the first also examples of like oh shit this isn't wit we know at this point now he's called hoyd we know that this is a big moment so like when he starts talking we're like we need to pay attention I love that we pulled out all of the same exact quotes from this portion. <laughs> Quote, I began life as a thought, a concept, words on a page. That was another thing I stole, myself. Another time I was named for a rock. A pretty one, I hope. A beautiful one. And one that became completely worthless for my wearing it. End quote. We have this concept of a hoid that goes back a very long time and and is you know far above and we don't know is he a shard is he something like ruin or uh laris is he something unknown something bigger than what we have seen in any of the any of the other cosmere books at this point we are really just like blown away a little bit by the information that Hoyt starts dropping. So in terms of Cosmere moments, I really do think this is like a key one. Like if in the movie, in yeah. the TV show, when this happens, people are going to be like, what? <laughs> you know, that's when you get the Nick Fury coming out at the end of Iron Man. Just be like, what? You thought you were the only one? It's like, oh, we're, we're connected now. All the worlds are connected. Everything's coming together. That, to me, feels like the importance of this moment. And we also have information given about Hoyd's backstory, uh, about where he comes from. So let's do this quote real quick. Quote, I've come to your land to chase an old acquaintance, but I end up spending most of my time hiding from him instead. End quote. Yeah, I pulled that quote out as well. I think it's so interesting, and I don't really know like what to think about it. I'm not convinced that he's talking about 
Odium or Reza here. I obviously, I think we're meant to think he's talking about Odium. Right. And I think he could be talking about Cultivation. Oh. No, Cultivation is a woman. He does use the the male. Uh, yeah. At the end with him. Okay. Maybe totally one fair. of the Heralds? That's that's as good a guess as any. Although we do think that the Heralds, while very old, are still from Rashar. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he couldn't be an old acquaintance. Of course. Yeah. I Of course, when I hear anything about whole, Hoyd's old life, I go back immediately to the beginning. The yes. And thinking I mean, that, so that's why I was like, okay, odium, but even even if we're not going all the way back to the beginning, a herald as an acquaintance would have been, like we said last time, 4,500 years ago. If that's not an old acquaintance, I don't know what is. Well, hopefully they won't <laughs> be forgotten. But clearly what is most important from this passage is the story of the Wandersail, the voyager who takes off, arrives on an island or land, where the people seem to be ruled by this like tyrant figure who resides up in the castle and they are using a form of you know brutal justice on one another's well they're incredibly peaceful and also incredibly um proficient right so they when they when the, the crew of this ship first gets there they're like wow what just a fantastic a place. Spot. Everyone is just so nice and polite and kind to each other. And, you know, everyone who is performing a job is performing that job just like wonderfully and effortlessly. Yeah. And then one day, like the illusion starts to crack and they see the brutality that comes out from underneath that, which seems like such a weird dichotomy that they start to wonder about, like, why is this otherwise totally peaceful and cool society having these moments of absolute horrible brutality? And it all comes back to this feeling of there is the leader above who has given us these rules and we have to follow the rules because the leader is a very harsh person. And when they go to explore that, they find, of course, that the leader in his castle is dead and has been dead for a really long time. And he comes back down to the people and tells them of their leader's demise. Hey, guys, you can just be nice to each other. You don't actually have to do any of the brutal stuff anymore. Uh, you know, no super severe punishments uh, for dropping a crate or anything like that. And immediately the society completely dissolves. There's kind of mass chaos as the people all start to turn on each other. The rationale that is given to the sailors is that, don't you understand, if there is no leader up above who is like holding this punishment for us, uh, if we didn't do exactly what he wanted, then we are responsible. And yeah. we are the ones who chose to be so evil to our neighbors, and it's all on us now. And they can't take that, and it breaks them and breaks their society. And that's the story of the Wondersale kids. Uh, it's just, you know, not the happiest of tales. But of course, this is the tale of the Knights Radiant. This is the tale of Zeth, Sun Sun Volano. Definitely the tale of Zeth. Yeah, I mean, I think it's most applicable to Zeth, and we're supposed to see it as a connection to Zeth because of his his bound nature to the Oath Stone, and like I have to do, I'm the assassin in white because yeah. other people are telling me to. But in reality, he has a choice. You always have a choice, and I think when you apply it to the Knights Radiant, it's the same kind of thing of. Why are we fighting? Why are we doing this? Because there's something, there's a pressure. You know, we're, oh, we're doing it because we're defending humanity. Well, until you realize that humanity is the attackers and the aggressors, and you're not really defending humanity, you're, you're going after the native people of Rashar. I think there's an element in this story, too, about taking responsibility. Taking responsibility, yeah. And I think that Kaladin and Zeth in a way, fall on, like, opposite sides of that spectrum, where Zeth 
is very happy, we see through all three books of the Stormlight Archive, to continue to give up his responsibility and to continue to... Put faith in other things. Yeah. And Kaladin does struggle with that, with just, you know, giving up on everything and taking no responsibility at all. But Kaladin is a man of extremes. And so when he decides to take responsibility, he almost goes too far and takes responsibility for things that he doesn't need to and shoulders uh, too much um, importance and too much responsibility that, you know, he needs to find a little bit of equanimity and balance on that spectrum. Excellent use of the word equanimity as well. I think we're going to hear a lot more about Wandersail. As you mentioned last week, a planned, short, kind of expanded interlude, uh, similar to Edge Dancer, is going to be released starring Risen called Wandersail. Yes. I don't know what the connection will be to this specific uh, proverb, let's say. Yes, exactly. I believe the ship that she is on is named the Wandersail. I believe. Again, don't know how these two stories are going to connect, but there will be a novella starring Risen called Wandersail. So are we expecting that in this first set of five, like after book four, there would be Wandersail and then there would be book five? Yes, that's okay. my understanding. Okay. Obviously, these things are subject to change, but that's the best info we have right now. Tell me more about the things that you loved. Okay. Well, to sort of continue on the conversation we were just having about Knights Radiant and responsibility, I want to turn us to Dalinar's vision of Nohadon and his conversation that he has with this ancient king, um, because there are a few super interesting quotes in this section that... Again, similar to what I was saying last episode, there are so many things that now that I have more of a grasp on the story and just more books in this series, I have such a different perspective and um, ability to grasp so many different things here. So, quote, the responsibility of what we've been given needs to make us better, end quote. And then later, Nohadon says, quote, Perhaps the rest of you are right. Perhaps our abilities are proof of a divine election. But if this is true, should we not be more wary of how we act? End quote. And this really stuck out to me because it seems like Nohadon is uh, questioning the goodness of surge binding. I think this is before the orders of radiance have been established. So there are just men with surge binding powers there aren't really any like rules or structure on how Mm -hmm. they're using those powers and there seems to be an idea at this time that these people are divinely chosen that they are gods on earth which makes sense um but i think it's interesting that nohadon is kind of questioning that and saying if these really were divine powers wouldn't we be using them in like a better way kind of the way that dalinar will later question why there are only shard blades and shard plate and not shard tools and things to make society better. Yeah. Like, why are these only being used for destruction? Mm -hmm. Why are these powers not making humans better? And if they are supposed to be used in a divine service, shouldn't we be more conscious of the way that we're using them? So anyway, I just thought that was super interesting. And I I don't know how I would feel about this, but I wouldn't be surprised if a big twist in this series is that the Knights Radiant or slash just Surge Binders are bad. Yeah, I think that there's always the potential. I mean, we have to like be ready for that idea with Brandon oh, that just like... He could pull out the rug from us. We've kind of talked about this before, about how because of Zeth's oath that he swears to Dalinar at the end, and because of Kaladin's insistence on doing what he believes is right because of honor spread, I think that there is the potential setup where we see something like Kaladin becoming, quote unquote, the villain or antagonist to Dalinar and Zeth. 
as like you can imagine that if for example as you just predicted like they have a sudden realization that the surges are actually bad zeth might say well you know dalinar the bondsmith has asked me to do this so i will and kaladin might say i'll never use surge binding again like he he could just go like fall back to his idea of just like i'm a a bridgeman i'm a i'm a soldier i'm a surgeon and maybe like give it up i could just see him making a different decision than the other surge binders because of his little like you know anti although in a way okay and this is interesting because historically the windrunners and the skybreakers don't get along because skybreakers are all about the letter of the law and windrunners are all about like what i feel is the right thing to do regardless of what the law says so you could also see how zeth might be better off in this circumstance because he is a person who thrives on uh structure so if he you know if dalinar said hey this is evil don't do it he wouldn't do it. Whereas Kaladin having the sort of room to interpret whatever he feels like is right. Mm -hmm. You know, what we feel is right is not always actually the right thing. So you could see Kaladin, again, like you said, becoming more of the villain. Mad speculation. Who knows what will happen? I think what we should do is actually jump over to another one of my favorite moments because it goes perfectly in line with the radiance do it my boy teft teft we know is going to become the first of the the first of the sun <laughs> the first of the kaladin sun <laughs> yes he's going to become the first little baby windrunner um under kaladin to become in his own right a windrunner and that's a huge journey that he goes on and we see it happen over three books. It is so beautiful to me that it is Taft who explains the ideals of the Knight's Radiant well, to Well, especially, I know we get really caught up on Taft's dramatic story in Oathbringer, mm-hmm. but I was struck during this reread of the drama of his story. No. And, yeah, in The Way of Kings and just like his past with his family and his community and then now him being the one to you know be sort of the first announcer the first witness to um the knight's radiant really just like tugs at my heartstrings it's again all there like there is so much already given to us uh about where teft has been and where teft is going and when you start to see it all happen on the the bigger scale it really is quite wonderful, just like, wow, this is what you can do when you are dedicating so much time and giving the space to all these different side characters. It's like you can take them on a journey over three books. Like, Teft is not a main character. He's a, you know, a second to the yeah, Kaladin story. But adding his um, heartfelt story Yeah, his voice, in... his experiences. I think really helps the reader understand like the gravity and the importance and the drama of Kaladin discovering his powers too. Mm-hmm. You know, where like without Teft's story in there, if we were, you know, cutting for time yes. or whatever, um, you'd be like, oh, cool, now you have powers. But including that, you know, in the director's cut mm-hmm. with Teft's story in there, it just makes it, um, you feel like the weight of history and the the, the weight of responsibility behind uh, the rebirth of these powers and like the hope that they can provide to the whole society, not just like, hey man, now you got cool stuff. So let's do it. Let's uh, let's explain oh, the man. first ideal. Okay. Quote, life before death. Teft said, wagging a finger at Kaladin. The Radiant seeks to defend life always. He never kills unnecessarily and never risks his own life for frivolous reasons. Living is harder than dying. The Radiant's duty is to live. Strength before weakness. All men are weak at some time in their lives. The Radiant protects those who are weak and uses his strength for others. Strength does not make one capable of rule. It makes one capable of service. 
Tuft picked up spheres, putting them in his pouch. He held the last one for a second, then tucked it away too. Journey before destination. There are always several ways to achieve a goal. Failure is preferable to winning through unjust means. Protecting ten innocents is not worth killing one. In the end, all men die. How you lived will be far more important to the Almighty than what you accomplished. End quote. That's it. Yeah, that's it, folks. That's it. Like, you didn't yeah. mean much else. And that... <laughs> There's no commentary that we can offer on brilliance. It's all summed up there. I felt like we should read it because yeah. we should read it, you know? Yeah. Now it's out there. Yep. As we go through and as you are rereading, keep an eye on those side characters who or who you think is a side character, like Teft, because the potential that they're going to have a huge payoff down the road is pretty dang high. That's the story that we're in. That's the world that we're in. It's like when you hear about someone, focus, even if it's not the Kaladin or the Dalinar or the Shallan or whoever you're really... I mean, or just read the book a bunch of times like we have. <laughs> you don't have to get it all the first time. I... <laughs> if you want to, if you want to be us, then you can. <laughs> It's not hard. Or just listen to the pod and we'll tell you all the little things. Back over to you for another favorite thing. I'm going to lighten it up. I just have a couple of smaller things to throw out now, starting with just a little tidbit that has dropped. Dalinar's devotery, the uh, church essentially that he is a part of within Voronism, is called the Order of Telenolot which is just so perfect. He ostensibly is within the order of Telenolot because he is a soldier and Telenolot is the herald of war, herald of warfare, soldiers, etc. But the comparison between these two characters, I feel like is just so deep and profound because Telenolot, as we know, is the last of the heralds in hell, basically being tortured, trying to save the world, the one man standing between humanity and destruction. And Dalinar is serving that function on Rashar, on Earth, in quotes. And so I just thought the the connection and the parallel between those two characters was so fantastic and grave. That's a great comparison that I maybe was like picked up subconsciously by me but for the most part i didn't make that connection so that's great thank you for pointing that out let's let's do the one the one that makes up the crux of the way of kings really the peak of the story comes when kaladin and the bridge crew choose to save dalinar and adolin and the remaining men who are out on the tower oh my gosh after, that whole scene yeah. is uh, Sadius's betrayal and the description of Dalinar's army just fighting all alone. It just breaks your heart. It's and then so Kaladin sad. and the Bridgman risking everything. The <laughs> whole thing is such a masterwork from the fact that you have a scene where it jumps into Dalinar and Adolin fighting like back to back and Adolin is criticizing him he's like I told you I told you this was gonna happen he was gonna portray us and Dalinar's just like I know meanwhile they're killing you know dozens or <laughs> hundreds of Parshendi that are charging in but like they know what's in store like and Dalinar's two regrets that he feels in that moment like being certain that he is going to die being okay with it because he followed his honor and followed his heart and what he believed to be right. Yeah, exactly. And that his only two regrets are one for poor Renarin back at camp. And he just feels like he's failed his youngest son who like, you know, needs a little bit more help, who struggles a little bit more, that he's leaving him all alone to do a job that he's not prepared for. And then two, that he has wasted so much time not being with Navani. And I just love that moment of clarity that if we are blessed, we receive those moments in life. 
where things that are truly important suddenly become clear. And if we're fortunate, like Dalinar is, we are able to move forward in life and to enact those things and become better. Yeah, to improve because of those moments of clarity, because it could have gone a different way. I mean, this was a legitimate moment of fear of just like, oh, are they going to have this character who we have followed and like been led to believe, oh, Dalinar's the leader. Dalinar's like the one who is most important in Alethkar and then kill him in the first book, at the end of the first book. Oh, it was definitely a fear that I had. So it was real. And like the sadness, the connection, the realization that Dalinar's having, all of it is just so palpable and it's just, it creates that emotion in the reader when it's not just told from one person's perspective it's not just Kaladin's own experiences which would be enough you know in, yeah. in most books like that would be fine that's a pretty cool story totally. but the fact that you're jumping over to see what else is going on and you know that these two characters in Dalinar and Adolin and all their men they're in real serious peril and they're going to die and they are prepared to die and bridge crews see that they know that they make the decision in what is like to me just like again this this is it this is all that you need to know when someone is in need when people are in need kaladin doesn't want to go he is not by any means bound to go like this is a slave this is a person who's been mistreated and given a chance at freedom is just walk away walk away with your cool bridge and your friends and like yeah everything that he has wanted, wanted for the last laid out months. in front of him and just, and just like it's there your freedom take it that's what you deserve yeah. you deserve freedom and his well his freedom would come at the cost of thousands of men dying yeah and you they sit with that decision and Kaladin is flashing back to his father, Liren, and the way that Liren raised him to be a surgeon and the messages that he passed on that have stayed with Kaladin and driven Kaladin, been an inspiration. Those are the words that he hears in this moment of trial. Would you read this quote? Quote, somebody has to start, son. Somebody has to step forward and do what is right because it is right. If nobody starts, then others cannot follow. End quote. If nobody starts, then others cannot follow. There are other radiants, including Yasna, including Shalon, including Dalinar, but Kaladin is the one that has to start this walk down to his death with his his crew, his bridgemen, they're all planning to die as they move forward to try to do the right thing. Yeah, I think that's even the best example, apart from the other Radians, that Kaladin starts by just saying, I'm going to stay. Yeah. I'm going to stay and see if Dalinar needs help, but you guys go on ahead. And because of his example, because he provides the example of doing the thing that is right, even though it is difficult, the rest of his bridge crew completely gets on board and is like, okay, yeah, we're in it. We're in it for the honor. We're in it because it's right. And they lose people. They lose their friends doing what's right. But they do it anyway because Kaladin stood up first. And it is in this moment when we see Syl in her full glory. She is no longer a windspring you know zipping around she stands in as a full grown person you know equal to kaladin and far more quote-unquote human or far more of a person than we've ever seen her before and she has this to say in this moment quote perhaps not you see i've remembered what kind of spren i am is this the time for it still i bind things kaladin she said turning and meeting his eyes. I am Honor Spren, spirit of oaths, of promises, and of nobility, end quote. So we get the full realization of one of our characters in Syl, and we get Kaladin choosing to do the right thing 
even though he knows it will mean death for all of them. I mean, that's that's his assumption at that moment. And I think that that is really just, you know, Brandon's been teeing us up this entire time, just like building a whole backstory so he could tell this one moment of like what he would do and or, not you know, only... what he wants this character to do in this moment. Yeah, and not only is he... Uh, you know, it would be enough for him to give up everything that he's wanted to do the right thing. That would be enough. But in addition, you add the layer of uh, two groups who hate each other, the light and the dark, mm-hmm. the light eyes and the dark eyes. And and he chooses to be kind. He chooses to do the right thing for the group of people who have oppressed him and like have done everything bad to him so i think adding that additional layer brings even more poignancy to it that not only is he going to do the right thing for the people that he loves and cares about and respects but he'll do the right thing like that quote said because it is right i have one more just like side note tidbit to share about this section of the book okay that relates to other things that we have said on this podcast as well kaladin during this section inhales some stormlight and he notices that he can feel quote a rhythm to the battle almost like the beat of the parshendi song end quote i also stopped on that line and was just like oh it's it's all here the so stormlight is like allowing them to tune in to like the fundamental rhythms of rashar that create all of everything on rashar yeah i don't Wait, our speculation is but. it is speculation <laughs> however the There's a lot of arrows pointing us in this direction. So many. What I came back on is that the thing that Hoyd put great value in, at least on Rashar, I don't know if this is everywhere, but at least on Rashar, was the flute. And he gave Kaladin that flute. Kaladin eventually loses it. We'll talk about that another time. But he gave Kaladin that flute. And in my mind, that's the big hint is that like, on Rashar, maybe other places, but on Rashar, music and rhythm create something. Something like matter as a possibility. Whoa. Like, I am not opposed to the idea. This is just craziness, but I'm not opposed to the idea that, like, honor and cultivation sang a song and it became Rashar. That would be so cool. Although we know that Rashar existed the before. Planet, yes, the planet the existed. But like I'm saying the Maybe that's how the, the Parshendi were created. Yeah, exactly. So like the life on Rashar was my theory, would be birthed through song and rhythm and music. Hmm. And that's why you have things like the Rishadium that yeah. draw Music Spren. Music Spren. Because they are like the most pure manifestation of the music that was used to like of creation, the music of creation. Ah, so beautiful. I don't know if it's going to work out that way, but you know, we can all, we can all play. Tell me about your last favorite thing, favorite moment. I am going to go back to the epigraphs. Of course. Back (laughs) where it all began. Yeah. And they, the epigraphs, in part four are once again death rattles a few interesting ones here that i just wanted to pull out from chapter 53 quote he must pick it up the fallen title the tower the crown and the spear end quote that jumped out to me because dalinar's uh like sigil sort of thing his name colin is rendered in glyphs that are the shape of a tower and a crown. And he wears a crown while fighting on the tower and is saved by a spear. Yeah, I was going to say, and then obviously Kaladin is the spear. So I don't know. I think there's something there. I don't have anything super insightful. I just wanted to put it out there. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I love that we see the actual like drawings, you know, so often at the beginning of the chapters and we forget that like that's part of the world too. Yeah. Like, the, those symbols are oh my gosh. all in world and stuff. So great catch there. Love it. What else do we have from the death rattles? Chapter 54. This one was really interesting. Quote, the burdens of nine become mine. Why must I carry the madness of them all? Oh, almighty, release me. End quote. I thought this was interesting because it's almost like the person who is dying is like somehow channeling Tom. And maybe this is this is complete speculation. However, he says that the burdens of nine become mine. We understand that as like he's holding back everything that they used to also share the burden with. But the question of why must I carry the madness of them all? He's not. They are all mm. going mad. Uh-huh. So here's some speculation. What if this was a prayer, a ask of God, even if Honor was dead? I don't know if Honor was dead at this point when it was asked because, you know, time is not exactly yeah. linear in the death rattles. But what if this was an ask of like, hey, all of this is happening to me and these people, the heralds, are out on Rashar being normal. Oh, and like, like maybe, before they started going mad? Exactly. Like mm. maybe all the torture was happening to him and... He's kind of siphoning it off yes, exactly. to them he now? Makes, he makes a an ask of either honor or cultivation and they grant and they're like, okay, like... That madness Dang. then travels into the heralds. Yeah. And that's why we see them in their broken state. Interesting thought. Keeping it crazy with the death rattles. Oh, what else man. we got? Okay, this next one, I don't have anything important to say about it. I just like it. It's from chapter 55. Quote, a woman sits and scratches out her own eyes. Daughter of kings and winds, the vandal. End quote. Obviously describing Shalash as the daughter of Yezrian. And I just love the imagery and the poetry of that line. Yeah, I mean, it's as poetic as it gets. <laughs> Tell us about the last one. Okay, lastly, chapter 69, quote, All is withdrawn for me. I stand against the one who saved my life. I protect the one who killed my promises. I raise my hand. The storm responds end quote. I have no idea what this means, but I just thought it was so interesting. I am like wondering if it has some sort of bearing on the theory we spoke about just a bit ago that the Knights Radiant might somehow turn out to be bad in some way. I don't know. I at least have a, you know, it feels to me a little Kaladin. It does. Yeah. And so maybe a flash of a previous Windrunner who would have been, you know, dealing with some of the same things that Kaladin did, kind of like a mirrored story. So like But also like maybe the Parshendi, since they have storm form and they can like do more of the controlling of the storm. Mm -hmm. We haven't really seen Kaladin do any kind of storm control, you know? Yeah, I guess I could see it more as like he draws in the storm, and that is the feeling of the storm responding. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, just a, another way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the death rattles have a lot. I think there's some mention. I don't want to say this with too much authority, but I do believe that there's a mention online that like death rattles will be seen again. Um, that we'll get oh, more I'm sure. death rattle epigraphs as a potential, either in Rhythm of War or maybe the final one. Uh, can I just add like a bonus note? Bonus notes are always allowed. <laughs> Good. In the epilogue, we can just briefly mention the epilogue, which is told from Hoyd's point of view, awaiting the return of Telenolot. And he has a quick note about how he's seen many different societies and they all have sort of different ways of establishing hierarchies and some are weirder than others. And the system here on Rashar of delineating between light eyes and dark eyes 
he says that there is a good reason why this particular structure is in place, which I am just fascinated by. I need to know. (laughs) Well, okay, so I saw this. I bumped on this. I definitely took note. And my first thought was the light eyes are descendants genetically of the early radiance. But I think this ties in to something else. There is one of the reasons that Dalinar uh, is like criticized or ridiculed for listening to the Way of Kings is because one of the sort of blasphemous ideas presented in that book and world is that dark eyes are above light eyes. There's a reversal in that book of their current world order, which is why people don't like it because it threatens their world order. So I'm wondering if it has more to do with that, that like at some point dark eyes were better than light eyes and then something happened. Well, um, that also sounds very much like the Parshendi and the human as well, like the same dynamic. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. You could kind of see okay this is just way too deep and way too meta but you could see the idea of like a minority in the light eyes go seeking a great power perhaps from odium not from honor get access to the surges and then use those to supplicate to take control away from the dark eyes and reverse their position in society then all of the modern light eyes, to keep my theory in place, would be descendants of those people. Yeah, I think there is something about the radiance in there because their eyes, everyone's eyes turn light when they surge bind. Yes, and we know that in the ancient days, the radiance were very diverse in terms of where they came from across Rashar. So they weren't just like one group of people and there are light eyes in other parts of Rashar. Notably, in some of those places, light eyes are not rulers or held up by a high standard. So the fact that Hoyd calls it out and says that like this particular dynamic is a good one or- or It just has a good reason. Yeah, exactly. I think is super interesting and definitely points to some type of- Interesting thing going on in Rasharian past. Okay. Full steam ahead. Words of Radiance. Incoming. Once you have Way of Kings under your belt, there really is no reason to stop. Oh, I can't stop. Yeah. I am a runaway train. Without flashing back to early 2000 bands, we will instead press on, press forward, keep the reread going, hit us up. On Facebook, Reddit, Twitter, we're everywhere. Ooh, I do want to uh, to just highlight for a moment. If you are on our Facebook page, our Facebook group, there is a great post up right now by one of the listeners asking for people's favorite Cosmere memes. And I don't know about you, but I can really use a laugh these days so join us on the facebook page show us your favorite cosmere meme and let's spread a little joy and happiness if you would like to i feel now is also a good time to say that uh our next few episodes going forward will include ass for you to rate us on your various itunes or other type of services that you get wherever you listen rate us review us That helps other Cosmere fans out there find their community. We try not to do it very often and just kind of keep it as a summer thing. Well, summer's here enough, folks. And so we are asking for ratings. It is stupid how many new listeners we get based on like one or two new ratings or reviews. I have access to the numbers and can definitely see that like, Every rating, every review legitimately creates more listeners. It's baffling. I don't understand the Black algorithms. Magic. Yeah, Black magic. Black magic. There's something going on. But like, I promise if you ever felt like, well, it doesn't really matter what I do. Your surge matters. binding power 
is rating and reviewing our podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on this journey with us. It's been a great review of Way of Kings. We look forward to talking about Words of Radiance. Hope you guys are all doing great in this time. Brooke, can you take us away? Until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. That's not an old acquaintance. I don't know what is. Well, hopefully they won't be <laughs> forgot. <laughs> I didn't think I could get you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to... Shaping up? Yeah.